Hi there and welcome to my weekly Parsha Shir. Uh, this week we're talking about Parsha Shoftim and we're going to talk about a posuk I've never talked about before and it's an interesting piece in the Nesivas Sholem. Um, I want to dedicate this particular Shir to a dear friend of mine who passed away, Shabbos Nachamu. His name is Bell Steinhardt. He's from London. I'm not sure I ever met him. So when I tell you he's my friend, it's because many years ago, when I used to present a daily radio program in London on Spectrum Radio, he was one of the people who regularly called in as Barry. And we've remained in touch all these years. It's well over 20 years. And the last email exchange I had with him, he's well in his 80s, was in June. He was an avid listener to this shear and he would uh, regularly comment on some of the things which he felt were important to either underscore or disagree with. He wasn't frightened to uh, send me sometimes quite sharp emails about things that I'd said or written which he felt could have either been written differently or said differently or not said and written at all. So I would like to dedicate this to him, Rebbe Beryl. His neshama should have an aliyah. We'll miss you. And uh, it's not quite the same to give the shir, knowing that you're not going to be listening to it. And I want to also dedicate this to his children. His daughter was in touch with me, and his grandchildren. They should have a nechama. The Pasuk says in Pasha Shoftim, In one of the places you're going to find someone, one of the places which Hashem is going to give you in Eretz Yisrael, you're going to find You're going to find a man or a woman who does bad in the eyes of Hashem. To try and undermine the covenant that Hashem has with the Jewish people. And that person is going to go off and is going to worship other gods. He will bow down or she will bow down to them. Either to the sun or to the moon. Choose one of the many pagan gods that are available and will divert their attention from the true, the one true God, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, and will start worshipping Avodah Zorah. You should uh, clean out, you should sweep out, you should eradicate this evil from your midst. That's what the Posuk says. And we're going to see the Nesiva Sholem, particularly with this last phrase, is not going to focus so much on the literal translation of the words, but more conceptually address this idea of those who are in the midst of sin and they take something and they go somewhere with it and it leads them in a direction where when they end up there, they wonder, how did we get here? How is it possible that this is where we have arrived? That's what the Nesiva Sholem is going to address and he's going to offer us a solution, a wonderful solution to this particular problem. Let's look at the Nesiva Sholem. Tzorich Biyor, he says, this needs, this posuk needs to be explained. Hashem 
Elohim Acherim. Why is it, he says, that the Pasuk begins by saying that the first thing that happens if this person does something that's Rabbe Ini Hashem, that this person, this man or woman who's to be found, that this person first does something which is wrong in the eyes of Hashem, and only then the Possek goes on to say, and they end up worshipping idols. Why not just go? Because they be becha. The fact that one has to eradicate this evil from one's midst is only pertaining to those who worship idols. Somebody who doesn't quite follow the word of Hashem, we don't have this concept of that you have to eradicate that person from your midst. No, why? Why would you have to do that? It's clearly, the clear meaning of the posuk is that if somebody is an idol worshipper, that they've gone the whole hog, as it were. They've gone all the way to the other end. They've joined the dark side. They've joined the dark side. That person has to be eradicated, has to be um, uh, got rid of in terms of them not having an effect and not uh, damaging the community as a whole. That's so important. But we need to understand why that the Posuk needed to say um, before going to the it could have just gone straight to the Yavoidelahim So says the Nasiva Shalom, Damashma Mizeh, Shaoid Koidam Shalach, Lavoidelahim Acherim, Kvar Osa Sarabe in Hashem. The implication of this Posuk is, think about it, that even before they have worshipped other gods, even before they've become pagan uh, uh, paganists who worship idols, They've already done something which is wrong in the eyes of Hashem. And we need to really understand this whole idea. We need to understand what that's about. We need to understand why that needs to be included in the Pasuk. He has another question. This is what I already alluded to when I introduced this whole concept. Which is, it says, you should eradicate, you should clean out this evil from your midst. It shouldn't say, It should say, You should get rid of those who do bad from your midst, not get rid of the bad in your midst. We're talking about the ish or isha, the man or woman. So you have to keep it. You have to keep it uh, um, consistent. The Pasuk has to remain consistent and not speak generically about Ra. You have to speak specifically about the individuals who have perpetrated that Ra. Uviarta oise hara mikirbecha, not uviarta hara mikirbecha. Those are the two questions that the Nesiva Shalom wants to address. So Yesh Lefarish, he wants to explain it as follows. He asks a profound and actually really important question. And it's important for us because we cannot conceive of ourselves as being the ultimate sinners. I don't think that there's anybody listening or watching this particular um, share who thinks of themselves as being utterly devoid of sin. But nevertheless, we 
kind of pacify ourselves. We, we tell ourselves it's not that bad because we're not ultimate sinners. There's people who are far worse than us. And we base ourselves, we base this idea on the fact that How is it possible to conceive of this idea that a Jew who is part of the, who forms a part of, it's a very small, a fraction of God, how is it possible that Yagia Lidekach, that they would ever reach the point that that they would go and worship idols? You, um, if I were to ask you, is there anybody that you know in your social circle who would ever embrace the idea of a pagan god? You'd look at me as if I'm crazy. What are you talking about, Pinny? How is it possible? No one's going to worship Avodah Zorah. And I know that the Gemara says that the Yetzirah of Avodah Zorah went away. And I know that that's true. But we do know of people who convert to other faiths. And we do know that there is still the existence of Avodah Zorah in the world. There are pagans in the world. And yet we somehow are... We believe... We have taken on board this idea that we're never going to be the ultimate sinner as represented by an Oivet Avodah Zorah because we as Jews have absorbed within ourselves this idea that there is one God. I mean, the worst that you could conceive of is that somebody would say, OK, I don't believe in God. Although I did once hear from Shlomo Kalbach, he said he used to speak at colleges and he'd ask people, what religion are you from? And everybody would say, that, uh, someone would say, they're a Christian, this denomination, that denomination. If anybody ever got up and say, I'm an atheist, he would know automatically that that was a Jew. Because Jews are very far out when it comes to faith. And they're always questioning every aspect of religious faith and questioning every aspect of every aspect of their lives. And to that extent, you have many Jews who have abandoned their faith and believe themselves to be atheists. In fact, to the extent, not that they don't believe in God, but that they believe there is no God. But that being said, the idea that you would have a Jew, a believing Jew, convert to paganism, to believing in, as it was said earlier, in the posuk, that they believe in the power of the sun or the power of the moon, that somehow they have completely divorced themselves from the idea of a creator God and they believe in some pagan form of worship, that is something that's almost inconceivable. How is it possible? That's the way the Nesiva Sholem poses the question in order to give a foundation, a platform for what he wants to say. When we're talking about chatoim, sins, which are based around the desires, the human desires, or the desires of the human condition. Things that we all understand. We can really understand if somebody is a glutton and they end up eating not kosher food, food that isn't, is forbidden to eat by the Torah. We can understand that they're a glutton, they love food, they've come to the decision that all the laws in the Torah pertaining to food are not relevant to them and they have justified, they've rationalized, they've legalized at least for themselves 
that they can eat the food that is forbidden to them because it's not kosher. That we can understand. We may disagree with it. We may encourage them to do teshuva, but we still can understand it. Gemara Chazal, and this is based on a Gemara in Saita Daf Gimel Amad Aleph, in Adam Over Avera Ella, a person doesn't uh, do a sin, doesn't transgress one of the mitzvahs in the Torah, except in Kein Nichnas Abirachstus. The only way that that's going to happen is if somehow an idiotic thought entered into their head, somehow rationalizing the idea that they can transgress this mitzvah in the Torah. But says the Nesiva Shalom, I get that. I understand it. I get the Gemara. Everything makes sense. But one thing doesn't make sense. There's no Tava involved. There's no desire in the human condition that involves becoming a pagan. Why would somebody pick one not particularly rational form of faith over another not particularly rational form of faith? Now, I'm not here entering into a competition as to whether Judaism makes more sense than paganism. It's not important. The moment you're going to make what we refer to as the leap of faith, the moment you're going to believe that there is a Hashem, why would you choose a less logical form of God, form of deity, than God, than an omnipotent creator, why would you choose that if you've had access all your life to the omnipotent creator? If you've been a believer, a mamin in Hashem, why would you then change uh, track and go to believe in something that clearly isn't Hashem and is nonsense? That's the question that, that Nesiva Shalom is asking, and he's basing it on the fact that it's only a Ruach Shtus a nonsensical rationalization that would ever allow you to perform something or to do something that is forbidden by the Torah. For example, as I mentioned, somebody who's a glutton eating something that's not kosher, or somebody who can't be bothered keeping Shabbos, deciding that observing the Shabbos laws is not important. I can get that, we all get that, it makes sense. But worshipping Avodah Zorah makes no sense. Which explains the fact that the, the Torah precedes the with there is hinted in this the idea that lies behind this is that there are those who do that which is ra that which is evil that which is bad in the eyes of Hashem for example, we know that Er, who was the um, eldest, the firstborn of Judah, uh, he did that which was bad. The Pasuk says that he did that was bad in the name of Hashem. And what do we say? He wanted to go against the covenant. Whatever the covenant was then, he wanted to go against it. And the idea behind this, the root to being an Oved Avoidazara doesn't start with being an Oved Avoidazara. It never begins there. I've said this many times in many shiurim and private conversations that I have had. Nobody starts with the ultimate sin. It never begins 
by the way, with a sin that people get caught for or for which they are exposed as being charlatans and frauds. That, that's never the way it works. There's always a route, there's always a path, there is always a beginning which seems quite innocuous and which you can completely rationalize. That's what is embodied in the text here of the Pasuk when it says It begins with something which is Ra Hashem because of course that's what you say okay God doesn't want me to do it or maybe God doesn't care if I do it actually God for sure doesn't care if I do it and you just do it nothing happens to you lightning doesn't strike you down and you end up doing the thing that you shouldn't do it said in the Torah it says in the Torah you shouldn't do it okay but makes it it's not a big deal I'll I'll keep the laws I'm a good person that's what you hear from people I'm a very good person or I'm a Jew in my heart have you ever heard somebody say that I'm a Jew in my heart what does it mean to be a Jew in my heart it doesn't mean anything I call them cardiac Jews. They're a Jew in their heart, but it has no practical application because your heart is not what observes mitzvahs. Your heart is just there to pump the blood through your body so that you can function as a human being. But you have rational thought and you have a spiritual yearning. And if you uh, betray that because you don't observe the laws that Hashem gave you in the Torah, then you are doing Ra Be'enei Hashem. That's how it begins. As a result of that, that becomes the platform. It becomes the springboard for you to become an idol worshiper. It sounds ridiculous. But the ultimate destination of somebody who does Ra Be'enei Hashem, what we call a gateway drug, Somebody becomes a Vayavoid Elohim Acherim starts with Rabbi Ene Hashem. It's the gateway drug to the ultimate form of sin, which is Avoid the reason you become a Vayavoid Elohim Acherim is because you began with doing that which is. Uh, and we can see this clearly demonstrated to us at the end of Bamidbar. We see at the end of Parshas Bolok, what was the advice that Bilam gave to Bolok? How he could get the Jewish people to be tripped up and to become idol worshippers. First, you give them Benois Midyon. What did he say? First, it started with the Znus of the daughters of Moav and Midian, and then it ended up with Baal Pa'ur, with them worshipping this idol, Baal Pa'ur, whatever that was. He knew that it would be utterly impossible, as the Nesiva Shalom mentioned earlier. We are all We all have. Um, the this fraction, however small it may be, that we are part of the mainframe that is God, that is Hakadosh Baruch Hu, that is the Rebbeinu Shalom. That's who we are, and therefore to entice us to become Oved Avodah when we are basking not in the glory but within the glory of Hashem Isbarach, that is an impossible task. So the way to do it, the route to that, the gateway drug, as it were. The first thing that Bilam needed to do was he needed to make sure that they would uh, engage in illicit sexual contact 
with the Benois Mayav and the Benois Midyan, as a result of with the, uh, uh, which, uh, as a result of these illicit relationships, which are forbidden by the Torah, something which they could rationalize because they have the tava, they have the human desire to do that because it would be impossible to withstand uh, the benois mayov and the benois midyon. As a result of that, they would do that which is Hashem. That would be step number one. And then they go on from there to worship Baal Pa'er. That's That was the advice of Bilam to Balak with the Benois Mayov and the Benois Midyon with regard to taking them from step one, first to step one, and then from step one to step two, they become they become Oivde Avoidazara. The Alpize Yeshla Farish Omra Ubi Artaharamikirbecha. And now we can understand the generic terminology of the Posuk when it says you should eradicate and remove the Ra, the bad from within you, from among you. The Prihaaret says as follows. It's in Parshas Kisisa. A person, imagine they're going through this process. Am I somebody who has a close, a powerful relationship with Hashem? You're working through it. You're going through the, everything that's going on in your life. And you say to so I really want to know, am I somebody who has a kesher with Hashem Barach? He shouldn't connect the fact, He says to himself, a person, he or she says to themselves, you know what, I definitely have a relationship with Hashem. Do you know why? Because I've never in my entire life done an Avera. I am totally Avera free. My life is an Avera free zone. I have never sinned, I've never done anyone any wrong, I've never done anything wrong, I've always done everything right, and therefore I have never done an Avera, therefore I must have a relationship with Hashem, says the Prihaaretz. That is a mistaken calculation, that makes no sense. He was going to think to himself that it must be the reason why I've never done any Avera, is because I'm so connected to Hashem. She'ein Ra'eladova says... The Priorets, that's not the case at all. It doesn't prove anything. Maybe it, there was just no possibility for him to do the Avera, and that's why he didn't do the Avera. You know, if you live in a Frum neighborhood and you want to buy non kosher meat, and you go to the local uh, store, whatever it is, here in California it would be Ralph's, if you're living in London it would be Tesco or Sainsbury's. And wherever you are in your part of the world, you'll know where the local non-kosher grocery and butcher store is. You want to buy non-kosher meat. You can't because in your neighborhood and among the people you live, even the sight of going into a store and picking up the meat from the refrigerator is already going to be sufficient for them to be suspicious of who you are and what you are. You're never going to do it. Of course you're going to buy kosher meat. You'll complain about the prices and you'll tell people it's terrible that they're gouging you for the prices of meat. But in the end, you're going to buy kosher meat. Why? Because it's impossible for you to buy non-kosher meat. For you to be somebody who eats treif, if you live in a from neighborhood, is almost completely impossible. If you live in Eretz Yisrael, 
you really have to make an effort to buy treif meat. You need to know where to go and you need to really want to do it in order to eat non-kosher food. That's something. So if you say, you know, I must be very close with Hashem. Do you know why? Because I always eat kosher. What a bunch of nonsense. The reason you eat kosher has got nothing to do with the fact that you're close to Hashem. It's got to do with the fact that you don't have any opportunity to eat non-kosher meat. And similarly, on every other aspect of whether or not you could or couldn't do an Avera, the chances are you couldn't do the Avera. There's a lot of frustrated Baale Avera. I'd love to do an Avera, but I don't have any opportunity. That doesn't mean you're close to Hashem. It just means that you have no opportunity to do an Avera. Maybe it's because of shame. But some other reason, whatever the reason may be, you're not able to do that Avera. But the fact is, you're not close to Hashem. And there's in you a desire to do an Avera. You just didn't do it. But you'd love to be able to do it. You want to do it. You just ended up not doing it. And if you don't uproot... If you don't remove this um, vestige of, of bad, of evil from within you, from uh, the person that you are, what is the advantage of not having done the Avera? You're still a Bal Avera. You're just a Bal Avera who never did the Avera. You certainly don't have a relationship with Hashem. Pirish Shezeh. It's in fact, says the Nesiva Shalom, explaining the Priharet, it's the same as being a Balavera. It's, it has equal status. Somehow, you're a Balavera, you're a dry drunk. You may not be somebody who's done the Avera, but you're still in your heart of hearts doing the Avera. This is what the Chazal say. It's a, a Gemara in Yuma Dav Omid Aleph, look it up. Hirhure Avera Koshime Avera. Wanting to do an Avera, thinking about doing an Avera is in fact tougher. It's considered more uh, damaging than the Avera itself. Why does anyone do an Avera? The life, the energy, the force within an Avera is the thought that went into it. I want to do it. I go ahead and plan to do it, and then I do it. That's the Avera. The Avera, the actual act, is only the final um, part of everything that led to that moment. And as we see from this Priyaretz, we can now understand fully the phrase of the Arta Harami Kirbecha that you should eradicate this evil from your midst. And not you should eradicate um, the person who does the bad from your midst. It's a personal instruction. It's not an instruction for the leaders of the generation to get rid of those who are bad from their midst. That's not what the Posik is talking about. It's an individual instruction to each and every one of us. Every single one of us, you and me, it's personalized. It's in, the, it's in the singular. You have to eradicate the bad that's within you. Nothing to do with the Avera that you may or may not have done. You may never have done it and you may never do it. But you still have the Ra. 
you're still somebody who has that evil within you and you need to eradicate it. You need to get rid of it. As it says in Parashas Tzavim, the root of that which is bad within you has to be uprooted. It's not the fact that you did something bad that is the main event. Yes, of course it is. It's the action that we're going to focus on. But the real bad, that which is bad, is the fact that you got to that point in the first place. And it's possible that somebody could be someone who's never done anything bad in their life. They've never performed an Avera. The actual root of evil is still very much embedded within them. They've never got rid of it. And that's why the Pasuk says, you've got to get rid of this Ra. You've got to get it out of your system. And it says in in Sefer Teres Avais, in Parshas Kitetze, our Pasuk you should know that this idea of the is one of the most powerful Musr ideas in the whole of Judaism, in the whole Jewish faith, in Jewish ethics. One of the most powerful ideas that we have is that you can actually delve into your own character, into your own personality and get rid of those things which are bad within you. If you're a person who's naturally inclined to one or another of the bad traits that exist within humanity, whatever they may be, we mentioned gluttony. If you're somebody who's a glutton, if you're somebody who is violent, if you're somebody who is, uh, has a foul temper, if you're somebody who's jealous, if you're, whatever that may be, you can work on your character once you know what your weakness is, that becomes your challenge. That's what you need to do. You need to get rid of the mamish. By working on this aspect of yourself, you will eradicate that which is within you, which, uh, which creates a barrier between you and Hashem. And you should know that somebody can work all their lives and it can take all your life and it can be a struggle every single day. It's not something where the battle is over and then you can coast. No, this battle may be a battle you need to fight every single day. The battle of that is and then Vashov Todir Bichuva. And you constantly have to do teshuva alaveris bepoel on the things that you may have done. You could do teshuva, but nevertheless, you still haven't been mekayim of the arta You may have done teshuva, by the way, the very first halacha of the ten chapters, in the first chapter of Hilchus Tshuva, the first halacha the Rambam says that kesheyase um, teshuva, V'shov mechetoi. It says that when you do teshuva, and v'shov mechetoi sounds like the same thing, that you do teshuva from the chet that you did. And the, and the commentaries on the Rambam say that there's two aspects to teshuva. And this very much dovetails with what the Nesivah Shalom is saying here. There is an aspect of teshuva which is, you say, I've done something wrong, I acknowledge that I've done something wrong. And then the shav mechetoi, which means I'm never going to do it again. I'm going to make sure that that thing which I did wrong, I'm never going to do again. 
it's two aspects of tshuva. You need both aspects. Because imagine you say, I didn't do anything wrong, but I'm never going to do it again. I just don't want to do it again. Then you're in a situation where you haven't been You may never do it again, but you've not really done Teshuvah. Or you could say, I feel terrible regret for everything I've done which is wrong, but I can't help it. What do you want from me? I'm, I'm still going to do it next week. So I, I feel regret, but that's not Teshuvah. You need both aspects. You need to be able to say that I've done something wrong and I know it's wrong and I wish I wouldn't do it. And make a commitment that you're never going to do it again. That's the true teshuva. Teshuva is based on this idea of regret for things that you have done on the basis that you now commit to never doing them again. That, that your resolve is strong that you're never going to do them again. One without the other doesn't work. These are two sides of the same coin. It's called the teshuva coin. You need both aspects in order to be entirely true to your relationship with Hashem. And specifically says the Nesiva Shalom, with the thoughts of doing something wrong. We know, we have a rule, that unless you do something wrong, it's not considered as if you did, did anything. Hashem is very kind to us. What goes on in our heads is not counted. Nevertheless, just because it's not counted doesn't mean it doesn't count. When it comes to these things, if you're a person who um, has never done an Avera in their life, but is constantly thinking about doing Averis, just doesn't do them, then in, in essence your life is dominated by all the bad things that you haven't done, but which you want to do. It's chosh of kamais, it's almost as if you did it. It doesn't help you that you've never done it, because that's what you're consumed with. That's what, that's what you have become. Kamaisha Omr Chazal, Ayin Raya, Vahalev Chaymeid, there's three stages to every Avera. The first thing is, you get to know about the sin. There may be many sins that you've never heard of. And it takes time to kind of get them into your brain that this is something I could do. I could get away with it. I could do it, no one would know. I could somehow, you put it into your brain, you intellectualize the concept of this mitzvah in your mind so that you get used to the idea. That's called, that's called Ayin Royeh. Because afterwards, your heart's going to desire it. First you say, I could get away with it. I could do it and it's okay. All right. Then you're going to say, okay, now that I can do it, I really want to do it. I actually want to go ahead and do the Avera. You haven't yet done it. Then, and then you actually go ahead and actively do the Avera. That's the final stage. That's why the Gemara says, the Gemara that we quoted earlier, in Yuma, that thinking about Avera, is a tougher thing than the Avera itself. The Avera doing the Avera may take a few seconds or a minute, but thinking it through and getting to that stage where you're going to do the Avera, that may take a long time. It may take a few hours, a few days, a few months, a few years until you get there. But if that's what your mind has in it and it becomes the desire of your heart, the actual doing of the Avera is only the final act in a play that has many acts that precede it. 
And uh, The whole Avera only came about as a result of the Hirure Avera that you had in your head. Because once you've got it into your head that this is okay to do, then you want to do it and then you end up doing it. And this is what the Torah wanted to teach you in this Pasuk in Parsha Shoftim. That ultimate, the ultimate sin of abandoning God, of becoming a traitor to your Jewish path, of becoming someone who is disloyal to Hashem Barach, began by doing things which were ra. Hashem. That's how it begins. Because ultimately, I can predict that someone who allows themselves to begin on that path, where the path will end, is certain. That's why it says that you must eradicate this evil from within your midst, which means from within you, from inside you. Let's understand, says the Nesiva Shalom, how to resolve this problem. He wants to get practical with us. He wants to give us practical advice as to how we can resolve this. How can we make sure that Hirhure Avera is not going to be something that we're going to have to contend with in such a way that we won't be able to deal with it? Faith, belief and spirituality, sanctity, these are the two foundations of what it means to be a Jew. And what Bilam wanted to do was to thwart these two aspects of the Jewish condition. You should know that if you only fall in one, you have a very good chance of being able to beat that challenge through your strength that you still retain in the other. That's why Bilam wanted to tackle the Jewish nation on both of those fronts. And just as we know that doing things which are bad in God's eyes, they weaken your faith. So that you can go off and become an idol worshipper. If you become someone who engages with Benois Mayov and Benois Midyon, you may end up becoming somebody who is an Oved Baal Pa'er. That's what could happen to you. It is possible. It is feasible. It's almost um, uh, inevitable that that's what's going to happen. Nevertheless, you have a secret weapon because you haven't yet gone there. So when you are doing something which is Rabbi Eni Hashem, you still have a very powerful weapon in your armory. Do you know what that is? It's Emunah. You may not have Kedusha, but you have Emunah. In the same way as your Emunah could now fall because you did that which is Rabbi Eni Hashem, it could be the Emunah that comes along and saves you if you've done something which is Rabbi Eni Hashem. Kein lehepech, behirus Emunah, strengthening, sharpening, um, uh, completely overwhelming every aspect of your self with the strength of your emuna can once again reinvigorate you and bring you back into a state of sanctity which you were in before you did the Avera. 
If you want to know how you can beat, how you can get over anything which has uh, diminished your Kedusha, it is through Emunah. These are the two legs on which the Jewish condition stands. The Kedusha aspect somehow, sometimes is not going to be fully honoured, but as long as you keep your Emunah strong and you're conscious of it, that can be the, um, that can offer you the ability to come back even if you've sunk to the lowest depths. Hatikun Hagomur, he calls it, the ultimate Tikkun, the ultimate repair. You should know that if you have proper emunah, if your emunah is powerful, your emunah is strong, you believe in Hashem, you know Hashem created the world, you know Hashem that you have to thank every morning and every evening for the life that you have is something that exists in your life and is strong in every aspect of who you are and what you believe in, then even if you've done an Avera, you have a good chance of raising yourself up over the depths that you have sunk into and becoming the Jew that you want to be. The Inyan Zemarumas Gamba Inyan Are Miklot. And this too is something that is uh, hinted at in the concept of the cities of refuge. Shekosva Torah Lahalomba Parsha Seinu, which are written a bit further along in Parsha Shoftim, we talk about Are Miklot, cities of refuge, which were set up for those who may have been murderers murdered inadvertently, what we call manslaughter, but it's negligent manslaughter. They run to one of the six cities, three on one side of the Jordan, three on the other side of the Jordan, and on the Israel side of the Jordan that they had 42 cities which belonged to the Levium, you had the opportunity of taking refuge in these cities, in these Are Miklot, so that you would not be killed by the Goyal Hadam, by members of the family who wanted to take revenge, who wanted to avenge the death of those loved ones who you had killed, however inadvertently, but through negligent manslaughter. Why is the Ir Miklot relevant to our discussion? Uh, why it says Lonus Shoma Koroitseach, it says every Ratseach should run there. So that um, innocent blood will not be spilt. We don't want somebody who's not um, worthy of the death sentence of capital punishment to be killed. That's called Dam Noki. And the way to protect that person is by uh, putting them in an irmiklot. They have to stay within the city confines of the city of refuge, and that will rescue them from certain death. Alpi, Masha, Amada Omar. And if you look at what it says in the Holy Sefer Oyev Yisrael, the Torah, as we know, the Oyev Yisrael, this is an Oyev Yisrael that the Nesiva Shalom quotes elsewhere and is quoted multiple times in many places. The Oyev Yisrael says that everything that is written in the Torah was not written simply for a time-bound purpose. If there's anything written in the Torah that appears to be time-bound, appears only to be directed at the, um, the, the Jewish nation that received it at Mount Sinai and the next generation that inherited the land of Israel, then you're making a mistake because it has a message that's directly relevant to us. What does it mean? What does it mean? What does it mean? It means that the mitzvah of the city of refuge, the fact that there is this concept of a city of refuge in Klal Yisrael, is something that is nitris, that is permanent, it's uh, eternal, and it's as applicable to us now as it was to the nation that received it at Mount Sinai. How? 
ומפרש הפוסוק שיש אורי המקרא אשר תיתנו לנו שם הרצח שהם שישס הטבע של הפוסוק שמע ישראל השם אלוקינו השם אחד. says the אוהב ישראל that the reason why there are six cities of refuge is because there are six words in the sentence that we recite every day when we declare our faith in God. Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad. There are six words in that Pasuk, each of them, each of them as it were, a representation of an ir miklot, of a city of refuge. Shekashe Yehudi Mamin Bazer, if a Jew believes in these six words, in these six Ore Miklot, then even if you are a Ritzach, you can run there. You can use them as the platform for tshuva. We still have an Ir Miklot. We have Ore Miklot. We have six Ore Miklot. Do you know what they are? They are the six words of the first sentence of Kriyas Shema. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad says the Oyev Yisrael are our Ore Miklot. And if you've done an Avera, run to those words. And make sure that you completely envelop yourself in those words. They can become your cities of refuge. And what is it that is hinted at in this fact that every murderer or killer should run there to be saved? So that innocent blood isn't spilled. We're talking about those aspects of our condition which we could compare to killing. Because if a Jewish person is completely devoted in their faith to Hashem, they know that Hashem is the Creator and they believe in HaKodesh Baruch Hu, as represented by the six words of Shema Yisrael, then it doesn't matter how badly you have sinned, you can run to those words and they will act as a protection. Doesn't matter what the sin is. Reitzach is the ultimate sin. Being a killer, we can't imagine of any of us ever being a killer. But if you are a killer, as it were, because somehow you have, you have jumped off the edge of a cliff, you're not behaving as you should as a normative Jew, don't worry. As long as you retain your faith, as long as you believe in Hashem, you haven't abandoned God. As long as you are powerful in your beliefs, you are a ma'amin, you're somebody who can say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad, then you have a chance to do teshuva. You can have you have a chance of being someone who's kashiyaset teshuva v'yashub mechetoi. You could be that person who completely regrets the sins you have done and embraces the idea. The resolve never to do them again. As the Ramah in his introduction to his additions to the Shulchan Aruch, he says as follows. When somebody really takes it upon themselves, totally believes in the idea that the ultimate king, the king of kings, is HaKadosh Baruch that the entire world, the entire universe is full of his honor and his glory. 
If you are willing to take upon yourself this idea that God is, fills the universe with His glory, that He is the ultimate arbitrator of everything that happens to us humans who have the capacity to believe in Him, you'll be filled with fear, you'll be filled with awe, and you will take upon yourself to do Teshuvah. It doesn't matter how, long you've, how low you have sunk, you could have fallen off the deep edge. Every Jew says, and the truth is most Jews who are uh, proud of their Jewish identity are able to say, I believe with a complete and utter faith. Whatever the case may be, however, powerful your belief is, you always have to make sure that it's more powerful than any desire that you may have to sin. That's, uh, that's something that you have to take upon yourself. You've always got to work on your emunah. This is, uh, this is Hasidus mixed with Musa. This is what's so powerful about the Nasidus Shalom. He, he lived in Slonim. He was a, a Slonim Rebbe. The Slonim Yeshiva was a Yeshiva that was, first of all, in a Litvisha town. And it was also, it had Litvisha Magideh Shir and Rosh Hashivas. And they, it was infused, the Hasidus of Slonim was infused with the Musa of the Musa movement as so beautifully embodied in this particular piece of the Nasivas Shalom. I want to end today with a very powerful story because it happened to me personally. And, and it really it, uh, is a fantastic illustration of this idea of knowing that when it starts in one place, it can end somewhere else. I'm going to tell you this story. Many years ago, I was a young rabbi and I was visited by uh, Rabbi Yitzchok David Grossman, who is the rabbi of Migdal HaEmek and of the Migdal Or school system in Israel, a very, very charismatic rabbi, a wonderful, wonderful and very special man. And he's particularly known because over the years he always visited people in jails and he was known as the rabbi of the prisons in Israel. And he, he used to, it didn't matter what your, your Avera was, what your sin was, what your crime had been, he would be your rabbi in the jails. And he visited all the jails. Anyway, one day he, he visited me in London. I was a young rabbi. And he said to me, I'd like you to come with me. I want to visit somebody in jail um, who's in the Isle of Sheppey, which is an island off the coast of Kent. And we went together. It was a long train journey. And uh, we went to visit this person. I didn't know who it was. And he went in there. It seems to be in the son of one of his neighbors in Migdal HaEmek. And we went there. It was just before Rosh Hashanah. I think it was in 1998 or 99, I think in 99 actually, and we went to visit this young man, um, his name was Yaniv, and uh, we danced with him, we sang with him, we encouraged him. I didn't really know what his crime was, but later on I found out what it was, and Rabbi Grossman made me promise that I would visit Yaniv regularly. Well, his crime was as follows, after finishing the Israeli army, and he wasn't a particularly good soldier, I don't think. He wasn't that interested um, in anything in life. He took a gap year and he went off and ended up in Goa, um, which is in Asia. It's uh, off the coast of India. And he was, he was there for quite some time. And he met up with a young British actress. Um, and um, he, she was also, I believe, uh, not just an actress, she was a singer and they had a relationship and he was completely and utterly devoid of any kind of breaks. 
he, as far as he was concerned, his Jewish identity played no role whatsoever in anything that he did. He took drugs and he, you know, he lived with this girl and eventually they broke up. She was quite a successful person. She came back with him first to Berlin, but then they broke up. He went, she went to London, he stayed in Berlin, but he called her up, said, I can't live without you. And they ended up back together in London. And without knowing the details, I can't be sure, but I do know that she died um, in a, an, an incident involving him and he tried to commit suicide. Now he claimed it was a double suicide gone wrong, uh, but the prosecution in the case claimed that he was a murderer and he'd killed her and then tried to kill himself because uh, he was terrified of the consequences. I don't know what the truth is, it's not important. <coughs> so, what happened was, I used to visit him in jail very regularly. He got a life sentence and in fact, he remained in England um, and he went to appeal, he lost the appeal and eventually he was, um, uh, he was transferred from England, from the Isle of Shepi to Israel. I don't know if he's still in jail or if he's out of jail, he got a life sentence. I said to him once, I used to sit with him in his jail cell and we used to sit together sometimes for a few hours and one time I asked him, I said to him, you know, could you have ever believed in your life that you would get to this situation that you're sitting in a jail cell in England and that you've got a life sentence for murder? And he said, you know what, Rabbi, for 10 minutes of craziness in my life, I destroyed my entire life. It was a very powerful thing to say. I still remember him saying it. He, he looked very dejected. 10 minutes, it was 10 minutes of stupidity, 10 minutes of craziness. That was it. And here I am. And I've got a life sentence. I can't get out of it. And I left the jail. I was quite dejected. And I thought it over. And I thought to myself, it's not quite true, is it? Because that 10 minutes of craziness was preceded by a young man who didn't do particularly well at school, wasn't interested in his studies, wasn't interested in Jewish heritage. His parents, I met his parents, were Moroccans. They were, you know, traditional. I don't know. They may have been Shomer Shabbat as well. They were certainly very wonderful and homely people, lovely people. But he'd somehow rejected that way of life and he'd gone off and slowly but surely he'd been in a situation where he was Ya'aseh Ra Ba'ini Hashem. He was Hashem. That's what he was doing. He was slowly but surely pushing boundaries, crossing red lines. Every day, every week, another red line. And until the end, he became a person who was a Ritzach. Now, whether or not it was his fault and it was a mistake and it was a moment of craziness, I've got no idea. But it wasn't 10 minutes of craziness. It was a lifetime of sliding in the wrong direction of making all the wrong choices so that ultimately he ended up in a room with this so-called girlfriend of his or whatever she was and she died at his hand and in the end that's not 10 minutes of craziness that's yasirab in hashem so that it leads to vayavoid elohim achirim that's what happens it starts off with the smallest thing it's a slippery slope that begins with the smallest thing. And whatever you think, you may think, well, it's not a big deal. And I'm only doing it because I can't stop myself. And I keep every other mitzvah. And I want to have a relationship with Hashem. 
But your emunah is not enough to protect you unless you work on that emunah with such strength and such power. So that when you do make those mistakes, your emunah will be so overwhelming that it will bring you back. That you will be a kashayaset tshuva, the yoshud mechetoi. That's the power. And the truth is, I, by the way, I visited Yaniv. He, when he transferred to Israel, he went to the jail, the prison in Ramle. I visited him there. And he did become more religious. And he joined the religious wing of the, of the prison. And he would learn a lot of the day. I, I don't know what's happened to him since. I should see what has happened to him since. But it was such a powerful lesson for me to hear those words from him. Ten minutes of craziness and it ruined my life. No, it's never ten minutes of craziness. It's a lifetime that leads to ten minutes of craziness unless you've worked on yourself and built up the defense mechanism of your emunah to destroy every aspect of whatever you are that's going to undermine your kedusha. We're going to leave it here for today. Thank you.